This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Let me welcome, you know him from Sunday Civics. He kicks off the Sunday lineup right here on Urban View. He also uh, has retired from the pulpit, but he has not retired from giving all of the goodness and resources for us to live our best lives. Let me welcome to the show the right reverend, Dr. Buster Soares, the forest Soares. I'm back. Good to see you, Karen Hunter. Yes, and it's you... for your soul. I don't do Sunday Civics. That oh, I'm sorry. Sun- I'm sorry. Sunday Civics comes after you. And I got El Joy on the mind because she's been nominated for NAACP Image Award. And I'm, I'm thinking I have to bring her on the show, maybe on a Tech Tuesday to talk about tech, but also congratulate her publicly. So that's why Sunday Civics was right there. Before your soul kicks off the Sunday lineup, followed by Sunday Civics, Eljoy Williams. Thank you for the correction. Um, the brain works sometimes much faster than the mouth. Uh, yeah, you're rolling down the Urban View River, as Clay Kane would say. Uh, you were on the Read Daniel Favors today, and if you did not listen to that uh, discussion, please do. You can catch that on demand. The Read Daniel Favors show is at 10 a.m. Eastern. And she asked you questions that you said you had not ever been asked in the 50 years of you doing this activism work around banking and money and, and getting people uh, right uh, out of debt, et cetera. And one of the questions she asked is um, if black owned banks all banked in one bank, what, you know, would that have an impact? I'm not going to ask you to answer that because they could listen to the interview. You gave the answer there. Um, and as I was thinking about today, because I wanted you on to talk about us, I want to have you on more regularly uh, because this year I'm very um, specific about the things that I want us to focus on. I feel like the first seven years I was getting the soil right because you can't plant seed in raggedy soil. Soil, the pH balance is off. And I felt like we got to get the soil right. We got to get people's minds receptive to actually starting to make some severe changes. And I was reading this story about uh, Leon Talley, uh, who made transition a couple of days ago, and it broke my heart because as I was, yeah. and there's a there's a story called the the dispossession of Leon Talley. It's a 2021 article, and it it talks about since 20, 2004, Mister Talley, 72 at the time, lived in an 11 room white colonial in White Plains, just north of New York City at the time. George Malcolmus, the head of Manolo Blahnik USA, and Anthony Yogaitis, his business partner and husband, bought the house for about a million dollars on the understanding that Mr. Talley would live in it and pay Malcolmus and Yogaitis money each month. Well, uh, Malcolmus and his husband called this rent, and the three men signed a two-year lease to the effect, renewable for up to eight more years. Well, that lease expired in 2014 and was never re-signed. And the amount of money Mr. Talley paid each month after that varied widely according to his income stream. And then in November 2020, Malcolmus and Yagatis filed to evict Mr. Talley in late January. Of course, Mr. Talley filed a counterclaim saying he believed these payments were an equity investment intended to uh, result in his ownership of the house. He said he paid almost a million dollars, according to his accountant. Uh, he also did extensive renovations uh, to to make it his own. But they were able to uh, show that he owed more than five hundred fifteen thousand in back quote unquote rent, and they were able to evict him from that home. This is twenty twenty one. 
2022, Mr. Talley's dead. I don't know if the uh, housing insecurity didn't lead to that, the stress of all of that, the betrayal, the feeling of all, of, you know, you put so much into something that you are given the impression that you're going to own, but you didn't actually sign an agreement to own it. It was a rental agreement. And it made me want to reach out to you because, you know, so many of us find ourselves in situations. And I, and I my, my biggest thing, I think I started the show seven years ago saying, I want to make sure that 99 do this money, this wealth thing, this, this Thrive Thursday, because I don't want 99-year-old Karen to eat cat food. So I'm doing all of the things now to make sure that in my later years that I'm not at anybody's mercy, that I, I can't be taken advantage of, even the home that I, I, I have now, I'm making sure that all of the fixes are in place because I don't want any contractors taking, taking advantage of 70, 80-year-old Karen, you know, um, and, and preying upon me because I may not be as uh, physically strong as I am now, <laughs> you know, to, to take care of myself. But these are things we don't consider because many of us don't plan that far in advance. What are your thoughts on this, Dr. Soares? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Karen, for having me back. Listen, not only does it involve planning that far in advance, it also requires paying attention to detail every single day. The idea that you would invest money in a house that you don't own and don't have an option to buy, that the fact that you would assume that a million dollars paid would be equity and not rent, this means that that brother Leon with all of his iconic contributions. I mean, he, he was a pace setter. He was the first and probably only black creative at Vogue to do what he did. He, he, he styled for both Barack Obama and Michelle Obama and Mrs. Trump. I mean, this guy was at the top of his game, but as many of our iconic personalities have taught us, you can be at the top of your game at the bottom of your finances. And so it's a matter of paying attention. You know, in, in our curriculum at DeFree, we urge people to take seven minutes a day to look at their finances, either your investments or your credit cards or your what, whatever is happening with your finances. This no one else can do for us more than we do for ourselves to understand and manage our finances. And mm. that's what was happening. Leon, unfortunately, was rising professionally and was drowning financially. And as you mentioned it, I think uh, Aretha Franklin, she passed without a will. Prince, he passed Prince. without, I mean, you think about people who have seen large sums of money come through their hands and now everything's in probate court. To, you know, their own wishes may not be, um, you know, adhered to, not even mentioning, you know, this this case, you know, but just not even having the way in which you want your, your finances, your money, your assets to be doled out, uh, you know, in the event that you're not here. And let me just be and clear. The problem is we're, we're not having the conversation enough. Not enough of our media platforms are focused on this. Not enough of our uh, black organizations, starting with black churches, are helping people understand the conversation. Karen, we had a doctor in our church, I may have told you, who had uh, a high income, a high credit score, he was paying 28% interest on a car that he bought, even though he was qualified for four to 5% interest. When we refinanced his car through our credit union, he saved $400 a month on the same car just by restructuring his interest rate. And so that's the, that's the work we have to get done. It's not sexy, it's not stylish. It may not put you on the front page of a publication, but that's 
the beginning. It's foundational for black financial freedom. Wait, you had a credit union at your church? Yeah, we formed a community development credit union, and we did so just before the mortgage crisis. And so we were able to help people avoid losing their homes by refinancing wow. their homes ourselves. We were refinancing people's cars back in 2005, 2006. Yeah. Th this is, okay. I, as I mentioned, I'm committed to making sure that everyone listening to my voice at least has, the, you, you will have the tools to get out of debt. And then, you know, we're going to focus on investing uh, after that. But getting out of debt, I think, is, is super important. And refinancing, uh, auto loans, getting out of auto debt, period, like paying off your car this year if you can, and then paying off your mortgage has to be the next plan uh, because yeah, debt is of the devil. That's my opinion. But on the re-show today, you, you said something, and I'm, again, not giving away the answer because y'all can listen, and you should listen to the re-show on demand because it's fire. She's amazing. Um, you said that m the majority of black churches are broke or like are, are living paycheck to paycheck. And it stunned me because you think, you know, you see all these prosperity experiences and you, you see these pastors with the planes and the Bentleys and you go, how is it possible that the black churches, the majority of them are not financially viable? Yeah. Well, first of all, the, the average black church in America has about 250 members. That's number one. Number two, the majority of black pastors in America have a job that pays their rent and the church is, is pretty much, from a financial perspective, a side hustle. Very, very, very few pastors are able to make a living just working at the church. And the third thing is that because most black people live from paycheck to paycheck, most black churches live from Sunday to Sunday. Listen, as strong as my church was, when it rained hard on Sunday morning, I prayed hard because I know that a, a hard rain would cause people to stay home. We weren't doing streaming back in those days. And if people stayed home, it would impact our bottom line. And until our church stopped spending everything it brought in, we our budget assumed that we would only spend 90% of our income. So I treated the church's budget the same way I treat my personal budget. And that is 10% goes to God, 10% goes to savings, 10% goes to charity, uh, uh, to investing. And so I was living off 70% of my income. When churches can do that, then churches can have reserves. Churches can survive if there's a blizzard or snowstorm and people can't get there. But most black churches are broke, meaning that one bad Sunday can put them in an economic tailspin the same way a two week layoff can put most of our black families in a an economic tailspin. Uh, give us the blueprint. We're talking with Reverend Dr. DeForest Soares. Some call him Buster. 866-801-8255. You just recently retired from pastoring, but for, I want to say 30 years, was it 30 years? 30 uh, years, eight months and 16 hours. Oh, wow. He knows how many hours you, you pastored <laughs> uh, a church in Somerset, New Jersey. And when you came and I remember, I remember when I came to Somerset to see the work that you did, um, you walked me through the, the neighborhood and where things were in disrepair and where there was, you know, bullet casings in the parking lot and where across the street, you know, it might have, you know, been really treacherous and they may have been bodies across the street and, and how you systematically came in. Give us the blueprint for how you made your church profitable as juxtaposition to how a person can make their, their own financial situation profitable. 
Well, the first focus that we embraced back in 2005 was to, to help our people do exactly what you and I are talking about, pay attention to their finances, understand their options, increase their credit score, decrease their debt, save for emergencies, invest for retirement, very basic. And so you didn't read much about me in the newspapers back in those days because I wasn't making headlines. I was trying to help my people make headway. So that was number one. And when churches put their members' financial needs first, I'm not talking about tithing. I'm saying when a pastor, when a church helps our people deal with their debt. I got so many email after my appearance with you last week from your listeners saying, look, I need help with my debt. And we just hooked them up with free resources. And we stay in touch with them to make sure that we follow up. Every church in America can do that. Every church can direct people to banks like One United that are online, they're black banks, and it doesn't matter where you live. Every church can do that. So you start there. And then what you find is that without begging and without gimmicks, people will help the church that helped them financially. So I never had to do any fundraising. I never did any $100 lines. I never sold any prayer cloths. All I did was help people understand their options and their opportunities financially. And then we put the needs of the community, the new housing, the health clinic, the new stores. We invested in building the community before we invested in building a new facility for the church. Come on, the pause there, pause there. Because that, you know, when you talked about putting up a, a, a trailer across the street from the church and you invited people from the community to tell you what they needed, I'm like, right. that's a blueprint for any politician who's coming in to serve or anybody that's coming into your neighborhood talking about they want to run for whatever office. They never ask us what we need. But you no. did. You asked the people. They think they know. They think they right. know what so we need. Both, what was, of course, what, Republicans don't care what we need, and the Democrats tell us what we need. Right. Generally. But, generally. What, what, I, I had to deal with Democrats and Republicans, if you recall, because my, my church was right on the county line, and one side of the street was controlled by Democrats. The other side of the street was controlled by Republicans, and I had to deal with both parties to do what I showed you when you came to the neighborhood. Uh, we're talking with Reverend Soares. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens. That's in Somerset, New Jersey. Um, when you put the um, trailer up, were you surprised by some of the things? What were the, some of the things that the people said that they needed first? They wanted more activities for young people. They wanted things as basic as a traffic light one block away where trucks were driving down the street so fast, kids were getting killed two and three times a year. They wanted access to a supermarket. In our particular neighborhood, you, there's no public transportation and you, you weren't within walking distance of a supermarket. And so they wanted an opportunity to buy decent, affordable, fresh food in the neighborhood. They wanted um, entrepreneurial business development opportunities. They wanted and needed affordable housing to protect the neighborhood from gentrification. We bought up land and bought up abandoned houses and turned them into affordable housing. So that was the laundry list. They wanted more recreation for kids. So we got into two new parks. Um, they, they wanted the strip club that was across the street to be shut down. They wanted the drug dealers to stop being open air drug dealers with the permission of the police. So we spent, we spent 18 months in that trailer, just talking to people, planning with people, 
And every time we discovered a community need or desire, we looked at where the opportunity was in that neighborhood to respond to that need. And what you saw was 15 to 20 years of working on the community's agenda, not our agenda. And I need people to see a new church. Right. Well, 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 but why, though? You know, like when you when you said you put the needs of the people, I, I asked this question yesterday. What was the address of Jesus's church? You know, like I, I think we we have things completely. It's not the place. It's not the 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 house. The house of the church are the people. The people are the church. Right. And if you if if you think about it that way, to serve people, to love people, to take care of the people is doing exactly what a church should be doing because the people are the church, not the other way around. So a new building, what, what would that do? Well, we wanted a new building because people wanted uh, uh, better seats. <laughs> they, they wanted air conditioning. That was, that was predictable. In other words, the members wanted a new building to meet their desires when they came to church on Sunday. And my position was we, we cannot put the, the comfort of the members before the needs of the community. All right, let's let's walk through because you said it took you 15 years. And I think, you know, uh, the patience that it is required to build things, um, people don't have the appetite for the patience. Right. And I'm, listen, I'm not a patient person, uh, but I've been forced into patience. <laughs> you know, like life will make you patient, you know, because the things that you may want, you're not going to get them immediately. But also there is a beauty to watching things develop as you develop as you put pieces bricks into place to see what unfolds you know is almost part of the journey as well you know even your wealth and there's an exponential growth that happens at some point when you put in those first years of work then you start to see things kind of take off talk a little bit about the first thing that you did after the after you gathered all your intel and and again this is a way of people thinking about not just a church but their lives and there's some pastors out there that may uh, learn some things here. First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens wasn't always what it, what it was under uh, uh, Pastor Reverend Dr. Soares. Um, but what what did you do? What did you physically do after after you got all of the information? How did you get it done? Well, you know, Karen, um, it's very interesting that patience is something that everybody agrees is good, but it's hard to develop. And realizing that most of what we wanted Getting a new supermarket can't happen quickly. Um, getting new parks for kids to play in can't happen quickly. So here's, here's what we did strategically. We identified things that could happen quickly that were meaningful and impactful on the community while we were working on those things that couldn't happen quickly. And so while, while people's attention was on the short-term goals, what we call the low-hanging fruit, we knew that that ultimately our legacy would be on the longer term things. So for instance, the first thing we did was work on the traffic light. The traffic light was something we could do rather quickly because all you need is two or three bureaucrats to say yes, and you put up the light. When the community saw that this traffic light, which they had been trying to get for 20 years, went up rather quickly, that's when they believed that change was possible. Part of what, uh, the civil rights movement did, according to Dr. King, was to impact the psyche of black people. You know, we've been waiting so long for so much. Sometimes we need small victories to remind us that we can win. So the first thing we did was the traffic light. Second thing we did was 
we bought the woods across the street from the church. And we bought them because that's where the open air drug market was with the police parked one block away, watching people from the suburbs drive into the hood and buy drugs in front of our church with impunity. So we bought the woods to get rid of the drug market. And we ultimately turned the woods into the place where the trailer was. So, so how, so wait, so pause, selling, pause for a yeah. second. How, how much, like was, were the woods expensive? And then once you gained ownership of the woods, how do you evict drug dealers? How do you evict? Like, well, what was, we didn't have to evict them because they needed the woods for cover. You see, what would happen is they would sell the drugs in the front of the woods. And when the policemen did come by every now and then, or when the drug task force would stop by, they'd run through the woods, drop the drugs in the woods. And by the time the police caught them behind the woods, they didn't have any drugs. And the police weren't that committed to go in the woods looking for the drugs. So it was a whole system and it worked for years. So we spent $75,000 to buy all of these trees and we tore down the trees. I don't remember how much ah. it cost. We tore down the trees, turned it into a flat lot and that's where we put the trailer so, so the community could come by ah. and, and, and have our community meetings, you see. Now, did you get put, was there pushback? Did you get visited? Like, so I guess they didn't expect that. Like one day there's woods, the next day all the trees are gone. You have no coverage. You got to go someplace else. That's genius, by the way. Was there any pushback? Well, was there pushback? Yeah, there were, there were attempts at pushing back. But, you know, um, besides reading the Bible, I've got other skills. And besides deacons, <laughs> I've got other friends. So, you know, you, 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 you prepare yourself for the level of pushing back that's going to occur. Got it. Got it. 866-801-8255. Um, I believe that there is a system for success. And right. that system can be applied in many different areas. And I feel like you've kind of uncovered that. All right. And you applied it to a church, but you've also applied it to other things. Before you came on, we were talking politics. You know, President Biden uh, completed his one year and he had his press conference yesterday. And I, I feel like he's done a lot in one year. And yet he has the lowest approval ratings in history. You know, no one likes him. He's and he's destined to, to not get reelected. But even worse, it looks like 2022 is going to be a disaster for him as well, because he's going to lose not just the Senate roundly but also the house if he doesn't figure out how to energize the electorate so i i came up you know on the fly with an idea it's not the an original idea that he should pack the courts with four justices and i think all four justices should be black and i think anita hill should be one brian stevenson should be another you pick two other black people but all four should be black forced to senate you know because they have to confirm to be on record, to tell us why these black people are not qualified so that then if you don't confirm them, we're going to be energized. And if you do, we're going to show up in the numbers that we haven't in a midterm before, because that's what's needed. It's strategy, right? Let's talk when we come back about your thoughts, because I feel like, again, we don't have enough strategic operatives in our community who are actually in. And here's the other sad thing. People like you who are doing things, it's not sexy. Like you said, no one's there with a camera and a documentary. You're not on, on, you know, around the clock television where we're watching you do this. And then are in awe, it just gets done. And you're on to the next thing because people who do keep doing and they just move on and they don't talk about it. They just do it. So I, I think we need to pause and talk about it so that people can start to imagine that, like you said, let's get some wins. 
they're here. You know, we they're right there. We don't have right. to, you know, we don't have to wait any longer for the victories. Let's go get them. If you have any money questions, if you have any debt questions, last time Dr. Soares was here, he's here for all of the advice and giving it out. If you're struggling right now, if you're in debt and you can't see a way out, also, Dr. Soares wants you to tell me how you start a credit union because I've been trying for the last 20 years to find one. That seems like is amazing. We need more credit unions because we need to have more control over how these things get approved. Uh, but let's let's have that conversation, too. I'm really glad that he's part of our family. If you are an avid 126 Urban View listener, you hear him Sundays, all Sunday, uh, kicking off the Sunday lineup with For Your Soul. Uh, and that show uh, is, is, is an extension of what you used to do. Uh, at your church. Um, so I like that you get to continue that here, First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens. And your other mission is to get people out of debt and to get them on a strong, solid financial footing. So I asked the question before we went to break about the system that can be applied to all things that you applied to this church. I, I know it was a compound question because that's what I always do, ask multiple questions in one, but I, I need to keep up. So, uh, Go ahead. I'm, I'm here yeah, for I, I think it's, um, Karen, I, I try to teach my young staff all the time our system. The, 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 first, the first thing you have to do is decide and commit to going somewhere. A lot of us have not decided to change anything. A lot, a lot of people are stuck on same and for any number of reasons, assume that what they have and what they are is what they will be and where they're going, and that's it. And so it starts with making a decision. <clears throat> when, when my grandmother died and left me real estate after having six kids, an invalid husband, no education, no civil rights in, 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 in the 20th century, uh, I said to myself, now, how, how can my grandmother do this and if I died now, I'd just leave credit card bills. So I made a decision at my grandmother's grave that I was going to change. Uh, I call that in some of my writing, a catalytic moment. Something's gotta happen. You gotta hear a speech. You've gotta tune in to a podcast. You have to read a book or you have to have a life experience that forces you to look at yourself and say, I am not going to tolerate this and I'm not gonna be caught next year this time exactly where I am. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with legislation. It doesn't start with somebody rubbing your back. It, it, it starts with making a decision. Then the next step is to decide where you wanna be. And so right now I'm in New Jersey. If I, I have to decide, do I wanna to go to Philadelphia? Do I wanna to go to New York? I have to make a concrete decision of what my destination is. Then I have to work my way backwards and say, if I want to get to New York, what are my options for getting there? I can take the bus, I can take an Uber, I can walk, I can take the train, I can hitchhike. And when I look at my options, I have to pick one. And the one that I pick should determine, should be determined by when I want to get to New York. If I want to get to New York by tomorrow, walking is, is not an option. Hitchhiking is not the best option. Then I have to decide, how much will it cost for me to exercise that option? And if I have the resources, then I can execute. If I don't have the resources, what options do I have to get the resources to use the option that I've chosen to get to my destination? That's my system. 
Now, what about borrowing the money? <laughs> I don't want to spend depends. my own money. If, if I if, listen, if I I saw a house in in Florida this week. The house is being sold for one point two million dollars. The house is worth two million dollars, but it needs fixing. I'm offering seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I may borrow five hundred thousand dollars because I don't want to use all my cash. If I can borrow five hundred thousand dollars and in six months I can sell that house for two million dollars and I can make eight hundred thousand dollars profit, that that's a good use of credit. Mm. Now, so if 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 borrowing money helps me achieve one of my financial goals then that's a good way to do it. If I want to borrow money to buy Lamborghinis so that I can look cute and feel good, that's a bad use of money and mm. a bad use of credit. Uh, 866-801-8255. But it may make us feel good, you know, which is why uh, projects are full of Lexuses and Mercedes and uh, Nikes and Gucci and Louis uh, because right. it makes us feel good uh, to have things that people look at us and deem that we are valuable because of what, what yeah. we are driving. It makes us feel, back. Karen, it makes us feel good until something comes along and make us feel better. Okay. I'm here for it. 866-801-8255. We're going to go to the phones as promised. Before we do, though, I floated out something, and I know you were Secretary of State for the state of New Jersey, and you, as you mentioned, dealt with po po uh, politicians on both sides of the aisle, and you had to negotiate not just to get a traffic light up, but to commandeer uh, condos that were then converted into not just affordable housing, but giving people home ownership in your community. Right. Also, to put up certain things, you had to navigate um, the, the levers of politics. I, I feel like, and I just want to have this conversation with you because you understand politics unlike anyone that I know. That idea that I floated out about J J uh, President Biden packing the courts with four Supreme Court justices and making them all black. Um, what are your thoughts on that, honestly? My, my thoughts are these. I think, Karen, you, what you're describing requires a level of boldness and courage and commitment that no politician has that I know of, starting with President Biden. Boldness, character, courage, creativity. We, we don't get that from politics today. Okay. So don't hold my breath for it. Okay. But it would work, though. It would it would do something. Oh, it certainly would work. It certainly would work. And uh, what's interesting is I think I think in a in in a strange way, Donald Trump exhibited that kind of boldness and creativity and courage for his agenda. He sure did. Didn't he pack the court? And I think and I think Mitch McConnell, when Mitch McConnell refused to 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 allow Barack Obama to nominate a Supreme Court justice nine months before his term ended. That was bold, it was courageous, it was creative, and he displayed that kind of leadership for his agenda. And it was when it effective. comes to black people, I've yet to see a politician display that kind of courage and commitment and creativity for things that relate to black people. I hope somebody's listening, uh, Joe Biden, because you will lose 2022 if you don't do something bold and courageous. And 2024, True. of course. For, for, for the people who are the most loyal voters in his party. Yeah. The most loyal. More loyal than the gay community, more loyal than Hispanic community, 
more loyal than any other constituency as defined. Black voters have been loyal to a fault, which is why they can, which is why they can treat us the way they do, because as Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Who, who else could he say that to the Jewish community? Could you imagine Joe Biden saying, if you don't vote for me, you ain't Jewish? Let's go to Nina in Atlanta. You're on with Reverend Dr. DeForest. Scott, I, I blended your name. Reverend Dr. <laughs> DeForest Soris. Buster Soris is Buster. here. Buster, right. what it is right now. Hey, Nina. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for taking my call, Ms. Hunter, Professor Hunter. You're Sister Karen, love your show. Love Thank your you. choice of guests. Love the topic. And I have a question about a lot of people in my family that I know are being uh, upside down, as they say, in loans, mortgage loans, car loans. Could you speak to that for me and listeners who might have the same question? Yeah, to be upside down, um, and thank you for your call. To be upside down means that you owe more money on something like a house than the house is worth. That's upside down. And it's stressful, it's, it's painful, and ultimately it's devastating for your financial future and for your financial legacy. And as long as people are comfortable living that way, they're not going to change. As soon as they decide that it is injurious to their spirit, to their health, to their future, as soon as the pain of being upside down exceeds the pain of whatever they think the solution is, they're gonna stay that way. But when you decide not to live upside down, you can do a short sale and negotiate with the bank to give them as much as you possibly can and start over. You know, when I, I was upside down in an apartment, in other words, my, my apartment rent plus my house, plus my furniture bill, plus my, my suits and my going out to restaurants cost me more than my income. And the way I got right side up, instead of being upside down, I got out of my apartment, I sold my luxury car, I slept in a sleeping bag for six months at my mother's house and paid off all of my debts. I was looking good and for a minute I was feeling good, but I was headed for a crash. And so I had to change my mind about the way I live. And we have to change our minds. In the meantime, while, while, while we're waiting for reparations, we're waiting for the government for another stimulus check, while, while we're waiting for all those high lofty things, we have to change our minds and look at ourselves and say, I'm not going to live this way anymore. Mm, I love it. Uh, thank you, Nina. God bless you. Let's go to Arkansas, Arkansas. Lisa, you're on the Karen Hunter Show with Buster Stories. Hi. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I, Dr. Stories, I have a question. I've been married 24 years. I have tried so long to get my husband to just see life totally different. He goes to church, he's a deacon, all that, and he will not work and come together. It's like a person that you're married to, and it's a part of them that you don't know. And as far as, like, financially, he shares everything with his sisters, but he doesn't include me. And then he has an account with one sister, which he thinks I don't know about. But I can't get him to want to grow this relationship. And if I leave it, am I, uh, 
not being the steward that God wants me to be because I want more, and I know God wants me to have more. And I'm just needing someone to help me. Well, I, pre- I appreciate your call. What I'd like you to do also is to send me an email so that when I give you this answer, you can email me and then I can follow up and get you more help than I can do on the radio. But let me tell you two things. First of all, God expects us to live in peace. First Corinthians says that living in peace. That means we don't take abuse. We don't take physical abuse. We don't take mental abuse. We don't take financial abuse. We don't take emotional abuse. That's what God wants. God's goal for us is peace. And anything that violates that is violating God's intent for marriage. That's number one. Number two, the assumption that the Bible makes about marriage is that husband and wife become one. And neither neither his parents nor his siblings should come before you. That's number two. Number three, I would find a minister that both of you can trust who will sit down and explain that to him. And number four, if nothing works, get a lawyer. And a lawyer will help you resolve it because life is too short for you to live in pain. I can hear the pain. I can feel the pain. And I can sense the, the frustration because you're dealing with a deacon in the church. That's one of the big problems we have with church. Religion becomes a weapon used to keep people like you in pain. Don't let religion victimize you. White people did that to us long enough. We don't need uh, religion doing it. Mm. Go to my website, dbsorry.com, and send me a note, and I'll be happy to to help you. That's D as in David, B as in boy, sorries, S-O-A-R-I-E-S.com, dbsorries.com. And yes, Lisa, mm, I love you. But love yourself enough to go get that uh, That's right. peace. That Karen, you know, old folk used to sing a song. Have you got good religion, right? And uh, the fact that they sang that song meant that they had a theology that presupposed that there's something that's good religion and there's bad religion. You can't have good religion unless there's bad religion. And what we what we're hearing all the time is people are practicing religion. It's bad religion. The Ku Klux Klan was a Christian organization. Bad religion. Apartheid was sanctioned by their understanding of God. That's bad religion. Uh, The Third Reich. The Third Reich. The Third Reich was religious. Mm -hmm. So people have distorted the Bible. They've distorted Jesus. And they've used it to victimize people, both on an individual and a collective basis. And that's why Jesus Jesus said, listen, the spirit of God is, is, is upon him and anointed him to preach good news to the poor and set captives free. There are people who are in captivity in marriages. Yup. Was Jesus married? Oh, okay. Let's go to Mark in Colorado. I'm just asking. I ask questions. That's what I do. I just did. Was he married? Mac in Colorado. Hi, Mac. Yeah, Mac. Mac, mm-hmm. how you doing? Your voice. Um, yes. Hi. Um, thank you, sister. Um, brother, you're, you're a very interesting gentleman. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you have a show on the weekend, correct? Yes. Eight o'clock in the morning. Eastern time, four o'clock in the afternoon and midnight every Sunday. Okay. I have one question. You hit on something that for me, I've been speaking about and I've been, I was concerned about when Joe Biden said, if you're not black, if you're not voting for me, you're not black. 
the questioning of one's cultural validity based on doing what you want them to do and the fact that they did do it. Are you concerned about our mental and emotional status to follow someone of that, of that ilk? I'm concerned about the mental and emotional status of those who do follow. Can I tell you just a dirty little secret? Most black people don't vote for anybody. Why are you going to say that? The majority of black people don't. And I'm not advocating not voting. But the fact of the matter is uh, the people who are Democratic or Republican activists who put all of their emotional and intellectual capital in the political process, they are the minority. The majority of our people are offended by that and do not reward people like Joe Biden with their votes. And until someone comes along that can motivate and educate and promise to serve black people, it's not going to change. I don't care how many operatives they pay to get us to vote. We are smart enough not to vote for someone who we know is just more of the same. But it's not more of the same. Uh, and, and I'm going to answer Mac differently. Uh, black people voted their interests. If it was between Trump and Biden, Biden spoke greasy. But the alternative was Trump. Trump acts greasy. Trump does greasy thing to me and and incites people to uh, make this a very dangerous country, which he has done. So I think most of us voted our interest, not for Biden, per se. Yeah, those of us who voted. Right. I right. agree. Okay. But if you uh, look at the numbers, the majority of black people in America did not vote and do not vote. Okay, I'm looking at the exit Now, we tipped the scale when Obama ran. And black people voted like never before. But before and after Obama, the majority of black voter turnout has never been over, over 50% in black neighborhoods except for Obama. Wow. All right. I think I saw 65%. But all right, let's go to Virginia and welcome in Brad. I think we got time for Brad. Brad in Virginia. Hi, Brad. And thank you for your call. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. You can hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. I, I just wanted to uh, thank you for having uh, Pastor uh, Soren on. Um, I am an actual ordained minister myself, um, and I have been, uh, I have a call in my life, and I'm struggling, man, because I had a conflict with what I saw the church not doing what I'm hearing you have done. And I just wanted to know uh, what would you advise a young person like, I'm not, well, I'm a I'm a t- I was gonna man, say your but... voice sounds a lot, uh, a little ashy. Sounds yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, I'm not that. You know, I'm a mature man, but um, I'm still young at heart. I say I have work to do in the, in the kingdom. I like what the pastor has done. I like what I'm hearing saying. That's what I believe. But I've not been able to connect with a church that does. I feel like the church just wants my time, and when they get it, they don't do nothing with it for the community. I believe. I believe that. Uh, the, the the politicians, everybody should be subject to the community, not the community subject to them. We elect okay. people, and they tell us what we're going to do versus us telling them what they're going to do. So I just want to know how to connect with you, Pastor. How would you advise me? How would you direct me? Uh, those types of things, because I, I, I guess I want to be like you. Not well, uh, send, send me a little note, and we'll communicate by email. I answer all of my email the first time. And then if I need help, I bring in my team a second time. Here's the reality. God loves everybody. Black people need everything 
So do something somewhere for God to help somebody. And if you can't find a church that's doing the work that you feel God has called you to do, then, then do your own thing. There's a young lady in Chicago who prepares meals for people who are living outdoors and she and her friends just go out late at night and just serve meals. And it's life changing. She's gone to police stations. You know, in Chicago, the, the uh, problem of homelessness is so bad, people actually sleep in police stations. And she takes, she takes food. Do something for somebody because we need everything. And on that note, uh, yeah, I was just going to ask him, what, is, what, is he, what, is he, what does he need to do? And if you're called, who's calling you? Need to vote. I need the phone receipts. All right, Dr. Stories, uh, we're going to continue the series. This is a series we're going to be doing uh, for the rest of the year, and I want to thank you for participating. Thank you for being a part of this family. For Your Soul, 8 a.m. Eastern and a bunch of other times, 126 on Sunday. 